When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, uh, back from the College Green in Westminster. Terrible hay fever from all the, the pollen coming off the plane trees that we were sat under. But anyway, um, I was going to say it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was slightly depressing, really, going to the Sue Gray Report live on air. But anyway, we've done it now. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to it on yesterday's episode. Uh, coming up today, we'll park uh, all of that for a moment. Some new immigration figures out today shows net migration is up. More people are coming to the UK. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? Given all the promises made about cutting immigration... It would seem to be a broken promise. But we're going to hear from people from different sides of the argument. Uh, Nick Timothy, former chief of staff to Theresa May, who promised to cut net migration, never quite managed it. And uh, James Kirkup, former journalist now at the Social Market Foundation, who thinks that all of this is quite a good thing. Uh, that's coming up in our big thing in just a moment. First, though, as ever, we kick off with our economist panel. And on a Thursday, it's night at the Marriott. It's India night and James Marriott. So, uh, India, how are you feeling this morning, the morning after the night before? Are you ready to move on? It's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because I understand people who say they're ready to move on because it's very boring and it's been dragging on for months. But on the other hand, it's also very important and very awful. Um, and so I think everybody feels stuck. And the, the only person who doesn't feel stuck in a limbo appears to be uh, Boris Johnson. Everybody else, I think, feels very disapproving, completely powerless to do anything about it. I think actually it's probably barring a change of personnel lost the Tories the next general election. Um, whether you think it's boring or whether you don't think it's boring at all, it's not ignorable, I don't think. Yes, and I suppose that's the thing, isn't it, James? Is it is possible to say move on? Some people say move on because they know it's very much damaging them and their party. Other people say, look, we know it's bad. We've made our minds up. We think he lied. We don't, we can stop talking about. It. Let's talk about some other things. Yeah, I mean, personally, for me, I don't know. I don't know how widely true this is, but it's it's changed my mind because I think I had a part of my brain that was thinking it really sounds terrible, but perhaps it's the case that you know, um, in this kind of slightly different working environment in Downing Street where everyone was going into the office and maybe some people did stand around and have drinks. And a sort of part of my brain that was willing to believe that might be that might be the explanation. But the fact that they evidently knew 
they were having parties against the rules, that they were dodging around security cameras, that they were saying we got away with it. That has really kind of confirmed to me that it was the sort of like, mm. I guess, the worst of the scenarios that I was holding in my head. Well, I mean, evidently over over generously kind of partly imagining, well, maybe it was a bit different. Maybe it was a works meeting with wine and cheese and bottles of wine. I mean, maybe maybe I was being a bit naive there. But um, yeah, I, I suddenly, yeah, I'm suddenly sort of angry about it in a way that I hadn't been before. Oh, that's interesting. That's you're, you're, you're not for the first time, James, going against the grain. Yes, or or or, ca- or catching up at the back. Eventually, <laughs> everyone everyone else everyone else is over it, and I'm sort of I've wandered onto the I've wandered onto the pitch uh, rather late. But yes, um, I was reading. Uh, there's a very good uh, on the Times website. Obviously, subscribers can read this. Um, they've asked lots of columnists. I don't think any of us have asked actually, uh, but other people uh, to, to sort of give a sort of short take on it. Danny Finkelstein uh, says uh, he sort of goes through. Did members of staff hold multiple events which broke the rules? Yes. Did they know they were breaking the rules? Yes. Were these events planned in advance? Yes. Did the Prime Minister attend several of them? Yes. Would it have been obvious to him that these were events that broke the rules? Yes. Did Sue Gray believe that he and the Cabinet Secretary were responsible for the culture that allowed this? Yes. Uh, so when the MPs implying that they uh, that they would act once the facts were known, what else were they expecting? How much worse could it have been? And that sort of managed to sum up in several sentences what I was struggling with over many more, to some extent, India. Yeah, I tell you what's really strange about these parties as well is the is is the sort of teenagishness of them. You know, you can you can I mean go, going with James's thing that okay, you know, to give them a huge benefit of the doubt that I don't think they deserve actually, but you know, okay, fine, blurred lines, homework, hard to tell, long days, COVID, blah blah blah. But you know, what's with what's with throwing up and leaving at four in the morning and you know probably photocopying your bum I should imagine you know what's with the kind of they're like it's like it's like the kind of naughty offspring of negligent parents all kind of running loose and it to me it ties in with that uh remark possibly actually one of Sue Gray's earlier months ago anyway about too many people having passes to the or the keys or whatever to uh, the Downing Street flat, and it's sort of the sense that 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 people are that people have somehow managed to sneak in, and it's all a massive laugh. And you know, let's all go and look at the red box, and let's all snoop around and think how exciting and strange it is. I mean, it's not, you know, I don't particularly carry a torch for Gordon Brown, but you can't imagine anybody else treating. Their, their either their home or their place of work with such an incredible lack of respect. But they are all. It's it is. It's like it's like the parents have gone to bed and the thirteen year olds are still up and they're drinking the drinks cupboard dry and they're being sick over the ban. I mean, it's like who who why are these people in charge? But I think I think you put your the sort of teenagerous teenagerness of it. Uh, actually, you, and you the put, sense that it's all a bit naughty. Yeah, and, you know, and they're larking about. Away with it. But I think you put your finger on something. I was, I was, because I spent after I finished the show, my I spent all afternoon in Parliament, sort of chatting to various people. One of the really striking things for me, and this is when I get a bit old fartish. I've been in Parliament since two thousand and five. Um, is how young the people doing these jobs are. Mm. 
So, you know, and I, I looked this up because I thought maybe, am I just looking through sort of roasting? You know, um, Alistair Campbell, when he went into number 10 in 1997, was 40. Uh, mm. Craig Oliver, when he did the same job, director of communications for, uh, for David Cameron, I think he was like 41, 42. Um, Ed Oldfield, who is the guy who uh, he was laughing in the press conference, the fake press conference was Lego Stratton, uh, had been director of or head of broadcasting number 10. He's now spad for Sagittarius. He's 23. Um, yes. You know, these yeah. people, some of these people who are in number 10, when you look at those photos and their skinny jeans and you think you wouldn't let them run top shop, never run, run, run the country. Mm. They are in their 20s. They are treated, you know, the behaviour. Somebody said this on the show yesterday. Um, I think it might have been Patrick. The behaviour that was going on, you you would get a rap on the knuckles if you were doing it in a halls of residence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Really odd. It's like naughty children with a kind of dad who's looking the other way. You know, really, like, it's not, it's not encouraging. It's not reassuring. Why and are they again, all so young? I think uh, partly uh, it's the cut, you know, it's partly reflected in politics, you know, have just got younger. I think the, uh, the maybe a bit of the um, uh, who would go to work, you know, in a place like this, yeah. you know, and actually certainly uh, right now with Boris Johnson, you know, the various relaunches he's had. Part of the reason why two of the biggest jobs in in government, chief of staff and head of policy are now being done by MPs was trying to get anyone for outside to go and do it is part of it. And then I suppose, it, you know, it reinforces the culture. Um, uh, Lee Kay now, I've just looked him up, is 41. Um, so he's now a former director of communications, younger than mm. when most people start those jobs. You know, his previous job, he'd been the Daily Mirror chicken and he'd, he'd organised broadcast plug-in points for the EU referendum. He ended up running director of communications in number 10. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, I'm very, very disappointed Non dressed up as a chicken at the Downing Street parties. That seems like the experience he could have... Um... <laughs> As far as we know. As far as we know. As far as we know. I, I'm going to believe that people dressed up as all kinds of animals. But, you know, there was just an absence of... I think you're right, India. It's just an absence of grown-ups. Yeah, yeah. And really glaring. And Boris Johnson himself is hardly... I mean, it's almost not as if the parents have gone to bed and, oh, it's all got out of hand. It's, it, is that, it is true that it's, the culture is very much set at the top. And Exactly. It's and sort I, of... It sounds like a trite thing to say, but, you know, you can't... You just... If Keir Starmer... Was in was in Downing Street. You can't imagine many people even want to go to his parties in the first place, let alone stay. But also maybe because people hire people at their own image and all that. Maybe Keir Starmer would hire a load of boring nerds. Uh, that sounds very yeah, likely. Boring, boring, sober nerds, which I think is increasingly what might be required. <laughs> <laughs> Although I know before you text in, yes, there's a photo of Keir Starmer holding a beer. We know. Uh, as, as humble, humble <laughs> Boris Johnson uh, made clear yesterday, when his humbleness lasted all of about four minutes before, what did he call Keir Starmer? Sabir. Beer Korma. Sabir Korma. Very good. Uh, um, <laughs> your, your column today, it feels like it couldn't be further away from the, uh, the, the what we were discussing, number 10. Uh, the problem with being perfect. Yes. Uh, your column today, Joe. Staying, staying, staying away from the news cycle, as always. Um, this was kind of, this was a, this was sort of, um, one of the nice things about having a column is that you can have a good rant every so often. And, um, this was uh, inspired, I think, kind of obscurely by I'm trying to buy a new iPhone because my current one is smashed. And I was just thinking, aren't iPhones incredibly boring objects? They're all just, they've got rid of the buttons on iPhones now. So it's just a basically, it's a, I mean, this may seem like a trivial thing to be cross about, but it's just a kind of weird, if you buy a new iPhone, it's just a block of black glass. And then I was thinking about other design and how kind of, how, minimalist and boring a lot of design and architecture is at the moment and how that's kind of gone on for it's been sort of 20 years that all our buildings everything that's been designed is more and more minimalist and 
no architecture or design has kind of exciting flourishes or interesting designs on it. And I was just kind of speculating about why you've ended up living in such a kind of living in the living in such a boring world, these kind of bland minimalist office blocks surrounded by not very exciting design. And I think my kind of my kind of uh, conclusion is bring back chintz and tassels and various kind of stuff that might make life a bit more exciting. Bring back tassels. Well, maybe not tassels. Maybe tassels is a bit of a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of, that kind of, more in that direction, I think. Than, are you um... are you a fan of tassels, India? I'm very much a fan of maximalism, and I have uh, very little time for minimalism. I find it sterile and unpleasant to live in, and those sorts of rooms where you know you leave a magazine on the floor and the, suddenly the room looks a whole mess. I hate it. I think it's uncreative, unimaginative, kind of a bit dead and incredibly bland and for people who don't actually fundamentally have any taste and so don't trust themselves to you know get in a tassel or a bit of chintz um so yes i completely agree yeah, with yeah. james that's the kind of there's a there's a sort of idea of beauty as kind of blankness or 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 very plain canvas that's Although I think actually that's stopping. I think I read in the Sunday Times home section or somewhere that after spending so much time at home, more and more people were realising that, you know, a bit of colour and a bit of stuff is is cheering, is more cheering to live in than a kind of empty grey box. Yeah, I, I was encouraged to read it. It didn't make it into my column in the end, but apparently a new, the new style trend, which I have to say, like most style trends I've failed to participate in, I'll, I'll probably get there in a few years, is... um. It was called Grand Millennial or something, which is all about millennials, people my age, now being into things like chintz and big, horrible, um, you know, patterned armchairs and you know, elaborate lampshades and stuff, yeah, yeah. which, which uh, for once, I find myself in tune with my generation and I'm, I'm all for that. Well, also, with the, the, the risk of sound like an old fart, watching the Chelsea Flower Show this week, I was really struck that actually a lot of the, the gardens look like gardens and not yeah really exuberant and alive big and, flowers yeah, and, yeah and actually flowers. Where, they, where they have built something it's like a big pattern thing and it's painted bright red and it's mm. and it's not all just sort of stainless steel and concrete and with you know one um allium sticking out of it so um <laughs> yeah. yeah down with that down with that sort of thing, oh, that sort of thing. Uh, finally uh india uh the jubilee are you you're looking forward to it i'm quite looking forward to it it's one of those things that sort of exciting by contagion you know i mean i'm perfectly well disposed towards it um and i'll be watching it on tv and i might go and see a beacon being lit or go and have tea somewhere but the closer it gets the more excited i become because of other people really there's some you know there's that thing in the air that is putting everybody in quite a good mood and is putting even quite unlikely people in the mood to make the Jubilee trifle. I made the Jubilee trifle, actually, and <laughs> I didn't like it. Oh, oh dear. Too sweet. Too sweet. What mm. are you doing, James? Are you going to eat a trifle in the bath? Um, oh, no, very shamefully and unpatriotically, I'm going to be in Hungary uh, for the weekend. Um, what, for the next weekend? For the long bank holiday weekend? For the long bank holiday weekend, um, which, 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 which is bad. It's funny, I haven't noticed this... Um, I haven't noticed this lifting of the air or or anything at all, really. I we well, we had a leaflet to the door yesterday of like the list of events that are happening near us, and so I thought, oh, it's quite a big deal. There are, there are people. Mm -hmm. I know. Well, I was I was I was out in the countryside at the weekend in a village, and there was kind of bunting everywhere. And yeah, yeah. People... I think it'd be more a rural thing, the people... kind of gathering. Not trendy London hipsters. I know. It? Well, it made me think what an awful kind of. I mean, I'm living in that kind of stereotypical metropolitan bubble, evidently, because there would be no signs uh, near me in Hackney that anyone is anyone is going to be having a street party.
Indian Knight and James Merritt there. Of course, you can read them in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, is rising immigration a good thing or not? You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Now, we've heard a lot of this phrase over the past few years. Take back control. We will be taking back control. And we have already taken back control of our money, our borders. Take back control of legal immigration. It has denied us to take back control of the issues that matter to the people. On and on and on. Take back control was such a powerful message, wasn't it, during the EU referendum six years ago, with so much focus on immigration. And then in the 2019 general election, Boris Johnson went on Sky News and was asked by Sophie Ridge if he could guarantee that the numbers coming to Britain would fall if he won. You've got to have a system that, by which politicians can say to people, well, yes, we are letting people in, but we're doing it in a way that is controlled so and So can checked. you guarantee that numbers will come down? Yes, I can, I can make sure that numbers will, come, uh, it, numbers will come down because we'll be able to control the system in that way. And what I don't think is right is to have a, uh, an uncontrolled and unlimited approach to that. Can you guarantee that numbers will come down? Yes, he said. This morning... New figures show that immigration is up. But is this a good or a bad thing? Polling shows that public concern about immigration has fallen a lot since the Brexit vote in 2016. And at a time when businesses are struggling to recruit staff, doesn't it make sense to have more migrants coming to plug the gaps? Or is this a broken Brexit promise? We'll discuss that in a moment with uh, people who've got different views on that. But first, to take us through the figures, uh, the Times' Home Affairs editor, Matt Dathan's here. Morning. Good morning. So what is the Office for National Statistics saying today? Well, the ONS uh, is saying that uh, in the year to June 2021, uh, so we're sort of a year out here, uh, that uh, net immigration was uh, 240,000. So 240,000 more people came to the UK than left. Um, However, this was exclusively driven by migrants from outside of the EU. And in very contrasting situations um, compared to pre-Brexit times, uh, net immigration from the EU was actually uh, zero or close to zero. So by net, you mean it's not that nobody came from the EU. It means that uh, for every person who did come from the EU, somebody else left. Exactly. And that was the same picture for British nationals as well. And um, where where then are these 240,000 extra people coming from? Well, that's what's interesting when you dive into a separate uh, set of figures today, published today. It's very complicated today because it's a different uh, time period. The Home Office published statistics on where these uh, migrants are coming from and where they're going to in terms of uh, in the economy. Uh, it's largely driven by uh, student visas, actually. Uh, we've seen a massive increase. 466,000 people uh, in the last 12 months came to the UK to study uh, and also uh, skilled workers as well. And, and that, what the government would say, is a success of Brexit because they wanted to bring in a situation uh, immigration system that was based on uh, points-based Australian points-based system based on who we want and, and the brightest and best. But uh, for a long time, Conservative governments, Conservative Prime Ministers, David Cameron, Theresa May, and as we heard there, Boris Johnson, have promised to cut the number of people coming to the UK. There was a free, you know, the, the, the population of Britain is 240,000 higher than it might otherwise have been as a result of people coming in. Uh, David Cameron promised to get it down to the tens of thousands, never managed it. Theresa May's Home Secretary repeated that promise and then his Prime Minister. So what does this mean then uh, in terms of the, the, the 
uh, the, the, the population is growing as a result. Yes, absolutely. And I think probably Boris Johnson will regret uh, committing to bringing the numbers down. I don't think he actually wanted to. You talk to people in the Home Office and across government politically and uh, across the different immigration picture, across, say, the number of people we're sending to, we want to send to Rwanda, for example, or the number of people we want to come to study or want to come here on skilled workers, they don't set any targets, which is a very big difference from Theresa May era. Um, so it's, it's surprising looking back why they did say the numbers would come down when actually they're bringing in a system which is much more liberal for non-EU migrants. And you can't really, uh, although they, they claim they can control that, uh, as you were saying earlier, our economy needs uh, migrants in some parts of the economy. So uh, committing to bring the numbers down doesn't really necessarily uh, play into Boris Johnson's ambitions. Do we, I mean, I suppose it's difficult to know. Do we know why net migration from U the EU is, is basically flat? It's, it's incredibly complicated. Well, the large reason over the last year is because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but it's incredibly... So a lot of uh, EU migrants uh, come to the UK for seasonal work or for temporary reasons. So they during the pandemic, they went back to their home country um, and they we don't know whether they'll come back or not. And obviously that was a reason behind the, the lack of uh, workers in the hospitality industry, for example. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the picture is also complicated by the fact that a lot of EU migrants, more than 5 million, applied for settled, EU settled status, so they actually had the right to stay here anyway. So it's quite hard to actually, to actually know in reality how many people did leave and come. <laughs> and then uh, let's talk about Hong Kongers, because the, government made a, the UK government made a big offer to, to the people of Hong Kong to come here. Do we know how many have come? Yes, uh, there are well, 122,000 people have applied uh, since January last year. Uh, more than 100,000 people have now come, which is quite an extraordinary number. And actually, that is one of the reasons why the the the, 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 the overall numbers of visas issued has increased substantially since uh, January 2021. And just explain, you know, let's do some some proper sort of uh, listener So Explain what a visa is, because lots of people who you know lived in the UK also might not know what a visa is, and how that's different to the previous situation. To be clear, that was a ding from Matt's phone and not from my bell. Um, explain what the visa is and, and, and how that does give the government control over who's coming in and who isn't. Well, it means that unlike uh, freedom of movement, um, uh, someone, every foreign national who wants to come to the UK, even when they're visiting, has to apply to come here, which allows the government to check their criminal record, whether they've um, been deported, for example, or whether they have any reason why they should not come here. And then for the UK government to to um, to, set, to permit them to come or not to come. And so that 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 control that gives the government control over who is coming. And if you're not allowed to come, then you you would be turned away at the border. And what about students? What's the deal with students coming here? They're counted in the figures. I know in the past, back in the sort of coalition days, Vince Cable, when he was business secretary in charge of universities, was always very keen that students don't be included in the figures because he was saying they used to come here and study and then leave. Theresa May always said they should be included. What's, what's the deal with students? Well, Boris Johnson was also one of those who thought they shouldn't um, be counted, but no, they very much are. So nearly half a million students actually came to the... Well, uh, when we say came, um, it's quite hard. To, when you're granted a visa, it doesn't necessarily mean you came, as we've seen with the Ukraine visas, but there were nearly five, uh, half a million people granted a stu study visa last year despite the pandemic. Um, it's largely driven by well, I mean, the highest number of Chinese, but that, that the Chinese students have actually remained quite stable. It's The, the large increase has actually been from um, Nigeria and India, which is 
Uh, really interesting. We did a piece a couple of, um, I think, last month, exploring why um, why from Nigeria and India. It's largely in Nigeria because a lot of wealthy students are coming here because of the security situation there, but but also because other routes, other universities across the world are, are harder to get into, such as Australia during the pandemic, but also America and the UK. Uh, U- the UK um, courses are, are cheaper. But uh, one more point about that is that the UK opened a new visa route, or not a new one, they actually brought back one that was ditched by Theresa May, uh, the uh, post-study visa, the graduate route, which allows stu- students or graduates to stay here for up to t- for at least two years so they can try and find work and after that then they have to leave. And uh, finally, um, uh, asylum seekers. So somebody, in fact, somebody's just messaged in uh, saying, uh, why are people getting wound up about immigration being up? Not a surprise really, is it? Or has anyone, everyone forgotten about Ukraine already? Uh, just a year ago, people were moaning there weren't enough immigrants. I mean, I think they might be slightly different people. Ukraine, obviously, not in the figures if it goes up to June 2021. But are people, asylum seekers, Ukrainian families, would they be included in these overall figures? They will be, yes. Um, and the um, because the Ukraine... Uh, the Ukraine refugees are, are granted visas rather than um, asylum protection. Um, but uh, it, the, uh, the most interesting thing, actually, that I found in these figures this morning is the the the, the, the rate at which we are granting um, asylum. To, so the the, number, the rate at which we are we are allowing asylum seekers to, to the right to stay here is at seventy five percent. So three quarters of people applying for asylum in the twelve months to March uh, this year were granted asylum. And that is the highest rate since 1990, and that is because of Brexit, according to the Home Office. What's the, what's the explanation there? Because uh, when we remember the EU, we were part of the EU's Dublin Agreement, which meant that we could refuse um, someone's claim to asylum on the basis that they should have applied in Germany, France, or another EU country that they came to. So the Home Office is blaming Brexit for allowing more asylum seekers into the UK? Uh, that's my spin on it. They're saying the, <laughs> the higher grant rate is due to the... UK leaving the EU. Us no longer being in the EU means we can't turn down as many asylum applications as previously. Correct. Matt Dathan, thank you very much for explaining that. Matt Dathan is the uh, the Home Affairs editor of The Times, been crunching all of those numbers. Well, what impact is all this having on, on public opinion? Let's speak to Kelly Beaver, chief executive of the polling firm Ipsos Moy. Hi, Kelly. Hello, Matt. Uh, now, one of the things, having looked at these figures for a long time, is that the concern about immigration used to be quite high. Then uh, the Brexit vote happened, and it came down quite a lot, even though, as we've just been discussing with uh, Matt, concern, the, the, the numbers haven't done that. That's right. So, actually, as you rightly point out, we've been tracking people's perception and spontaneous concern about key issues in the UK for over four years and just ahead of that Brexit referendum it was the highest point that we'd ever experienced. Today it's only 8% and the new data we put out uh, just yesterday it was 8% who said immigration is the most important issue facing Britain today. So what's causing it? Well actually one in five people say now that they're more positive about immigration and we ask them why they say they feel more positive and the top kind of answers again these are verbatims that are coded the top answers demonstrate that they see that there is more value to immigrants contributing to the UK. And we see a lot of references to the role that immigrants pay, played in key services throughout the COVID pandemic. So that visibility of some of the value of immigration in society came through in the last few years. But then, of course, there are also some around one in four of that, one in five, who say they're more likely to think that the UK now has more controls over immigration since Brexit. So they're less worried about the rate of immigration. But beyond people feeling more positive, what's actually driving it to fall down the 
issues index is its relative performance against other things. People are much more worried now about inflation, cost of living, the economy, and whether or not they have faith in our politics and politicians than they are about immigration. And I suppose that's the thing. Isn't it? When we've been through everything else, the pandemic, economic crisis and that sort of thing, maybe that's why our concern uh, uh, has gone elsewhere. Uh, Kelly Beaver from uh, Ipsos Moy, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Let's now bring in uh, two people who've got different takes on whether or not this is a good thing. Uh, Nick Timothy is economist at the Daily Telegraph, was chief of staff to Theresa May when she was Home Secretary and as Prime Minister, promising to get uh, net migration down to the tens of thousands. Morning, Nick. Hiya. Uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, James Kirkup is a former journalist, but he's better now. He's director of the Social Market Foundation. Joins us. Hi, James. Good morning. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. Net migration at 239,000, good thing or bad thing? Uh, well, first of all, I think it's incredibly mean of you inviting me on to uh, debate James. It feels a bit like Squid Game uh, arguing against a friend. We're not. We're not. Um, this is not. We don't do debates and angry rows. You've both just got interesting kidding, takes on the figures. That's all. I'm kidding. I think. Um, uh, I think the numbers are too high. Uh, I think immigration uh, can be beneficial for the economy. It fills skill shortages. Uh, it can bring a sense of enterprise. It can. Um, it can add to the sense of culture uh in the country but when the numbers are too high uh you know, it's much harder to deal with rapid social change it can sometimes prevent fairly stark uh cultural divides and it puts pressure on infrastructure and public services you know, big housing problem at the moment and for some people it can cause job displacement and push down wages so those are all the reasons why i think the numbers are too high and need to come down james the numbers are too high um, no, they're not. Um, they're not. And I mean, you know, and Nick, much as I love him, and we've been having we've been having this argument for well, about ten years or so, and yeah, and more now. I think, um, yeah, I think it has to concede that actually, yeah, the tide is going out on uh, yeah, on, on those concerns. I mean, you know, the most interesting thing, if you look at the, I mean, the gross numbers add up all the all the figures today, you get you you get to a total of more than a million a million people came into the country. Um, to for work study and uh, you know, work study family resettlement uh, over the year to you know, to March, and at the same time, yeah, as you heard from Kelly, the country has as a whole gone okay. That's fine. We don't mind. Um, it's quite yeah. We, we're, we're quite relaxed about it. And it's I mean, you know, to, to sort of pick off you know, pick off. I mean, you know, probably the most important of of next points. And they're and they're all. I mean, they're all they're all perfectly you know, good, legitimate, valid, valid concerns. I mean, I'd say they can be you know, those things aren't objections to migration per se, they're objections to having policies that don't properly respond to the, to the level of accommodation, you know, the, 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 the level of immigration we have. But on, on you know, so on you know, community tensions, infrastructure stuff, fine, okay, let's let's deal with that, let's have more of a conversation about, about integration. Uh, yeah, infrastructure. Let's have better infrastructure. Let, yeah, yeah, let, let's let's support you know, support places with a larger population better. Um, but the key, I mean, the key point I think is often the one on labour markets. At the same time as we've brought in a million people in this country, we are we have been running out of workers. Uh, you know, for the first time in, I think, uh, recorded statistical history, 
uh, unemployment now exceeds the number, sorry, is now less than the number of vacancies in the economy. We are literally running out of workers and we are going to continue running out of workers. When you look at our birth rate, you look at our, our demographic future, you know, this country is going to need to bring in more you know, young, vigorous, interesting people from, you know, from overseas. Our, our long-term future, honestly, I, 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 I promise if you invite me back in 10 years' time, you know, get, get me and Nick back in 10 years' time, um, the political conversation in this country is going to be about how, why aren't we getting enough immigrants. We're going to be talking about, uh, hang on, they're all going to Canada, they're going to America, they're going to China, they're not, why can't we attract people to this country? That's where we're heading. Um, this, this conversation about, oh God, we have to close our doors and keep people out is very last, last, yeah, last decade. Um, the future is you know, uh, open, uh, open, vibrant, um, open-minded, and the public, as you heard from Kelly, are, are oh yeah, they're, they're smart enough to realise this is this is fine, this is good, and a lot of a lot of it is, down, is a lot of that is actually I've got to say, you know, you know, a lot of that I think is down to Brexit. I mean, I voted Remain. I thought it was a daft idea to leave the European Union, but I've got to concede that since we took back control of our immigration policy, as Nick, yeah, as Nick wanted to. British public attitudes to immigration have continued to soften. People have, by and large, taken the view that now that we can control immigration to the UK, we don't mind what level it's at. And actually, we can more easily see the benefits of, of immigration. So here I am, a recanting, a recanting Romania. Um, I, I see a benefit to Brexit. So, but well, there we Nick, are. You, very you good. You, very honest about you. Uh, Nick, let's bring you in there. Is, is, is it not the case then, if we look at what's happened over time, is that politicians have complete, have, have uh, weaponized maybe the issue of immigration to political ends. One being it played a very key role in in immigration, and lots of people who were worried about immigration voted for Brexit. Um, uh, and then at general elections, people that you were working for promised to to, to bring it down. They've completely failed in that regard, uh, and the public now seem quite relaxed about it. So is it is it just been a political issue? While there's would have been two things going on at once. Has it been a political fight over numbers, which has made not the blindest bit of difference to the actual numbers? Uh, and in reality, we need more people, not fewer. Well, I'd say it's a fairly eccentric take to argue that uh, the politicians were talking incessantly about immigration and the public were very relaxed about it for years. The complaint no, 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 was but the public, well, the no, no, my, my point is the politicians kept talking about it while doing nothing about it. Yeah, David Cameron, well, Theresa right, May, Boris Johnson. Um, that have, have have used it to political ends, including to, to secure, you could argue, the Brexit vote, while actually not doing anything about the reality. You're right about that. And uh, certainly in my five years in the Hame office, between 10 and 15, um, I think what happened in the first half of that period was the numbers started to come down because the government was prepared to pull the levers uh, that would lead to that happening. But basically, over time, the political will to keep on doing that uh, evaporated and the pressures from all the different departments for more and more migration uh, got stronger. And uh, and in the end, I think unless, you're, unless you have a, a government led by a prime minister who's utterly determined to bring it down, then the numbers will go up because that's the way Whitehall works. In terms of but you, Brexit... You worked you work um, for a prime minister who supposedly was utterly yeah, yeah. determined. Did, was she not utterly determined? Well, I don't think it was a political priority for her in that in the year, certainly in the year that I was there, um, uh, because you know, the, frankly, there were there was no policy in that year uh, that that would have led to reductions. So, but, but, so I'm I'm sort of agreeing with you, Matt. the The point is that um, you know, politicians have quite consistently made these promises. 
most famously in the Brexit referendum. And the promise was to take back control, but the policy that has been implemented since the Brexit referendum gives away control. A points-based system actually turns the idea of immigration control on its head because it says, if you're a migrant who wants to come to Britain, if you meet the requisite number of points in the system, you gain the automatic right to come here and there's little immigration officers can do about it. So, and there, and there are very many people in the world who would be able to meet those uh, points thresholds. And so what we're seeing is the numbers going up and up and up. There has been a very deliberate set of decisions by the government since Boris became prime minister uh, to chip away at controls. And what you're seeing in these statistics published today is net migration uh, uh, to June 21 being, you know, pretty high by historical standards, but not that high compared to relatively recent years. But the visa statistics that run to March this year are, are incredibly high and show that immigration is only likely to keep going up. And let's bring in Matt Dathan again, Home Affairs Editor of The Times. Matt, what's the situation, the sort of political situation within government now? Um, uh, Nick's there describing, you know, Theresa May was Home Secretary. She wanted to do something about it, but there were other pressures coming from elsewhere in uh, in uh, government. Um, what's Priti Patel's take on this? Is she trying to to bring down the numbers and other parts of government aren't? I mean, she talks a tough talk on migration, but is she happy with this? Well, she's very distracted by illegal immigration, which is a completely different picture. Uh, but what is interesting is uh, what I wrote about the, the last year's visa numbers, and, and James did an excellent column um, last month as well uh, about the sort of the, 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 the differences in the liberalisation for non-EU migrants um, since the post-Brexit system came in last year. Is that then? they're not willing to sort of really boast about it and make a big thing about the fact that it's, um, you know, the points-based system is actually working. And, and people like Jonathan Porters, who was a very anti-Brexit, has been very complimentary of how the post-Brexit immigration system has worked for visa holders and visa applicants. Um, and we, we were trying to tell the Home Office, look, we're doing this story. If you want to lean into it, by all means, come in. And they didn't really want to lean into it, which is really interesting. The, the, the Home Office has been so heavily criticised for Ukraine and, and small boat crossings. And yet when there's been a quite a successful story... <laughs> Uh, praised even by their previous critics. They don't want to sort of lean into it because of, uh, as Nick's been saying, because of the public's, um, I don't know, uh, the previous um, opposition to, to high numbers. But then that's, does seem to, that does seem to be shifting. Um, somebody's just texted, John in Sheffield's just texting, 250,000 people, as we've discussed, an extra, uh, was 239,000 uh, net migration, uh, require at least 50,000 new homes. How's this being achieved? I don't think we're even close to providing this additional number and already very poor performance in housing infrastructure delivery. James, that's the point that you were making that if we are therefore more comfortable or it's just a reality that more people are coming, that does require a level of investment that so far is lacking. Yeah, I mean, well, or, dis or distribution, distribution of resources, I suppose it's lacking. I mean, I, and yeah, we can't, I mean, obviously I am, yeah, I, I am a terrible, um, terrible pinko liberal immigration liberal. Um, or, yeah, and the Home Office definitely doesn't doesn't want my praise uh, because yeah because they're they're concerned about some segments. Of, yeah, there are some segments of public opinion where people do get upset about this stuff. Um, but yeah, so uh, while I am terribly relaxed about immigration, I, I think you need to be realistically positive about it. Uh, that doesn't mean just sort of opening you know, opening up the system and saying okay you know, it'll all be fine. We do enough in a lot of cases have to make sure that we are. Uh, 
providing a better accommodation and, and the state better adjusts to uh, to changes in the population. I mean, to, to, if I can be, you know, be really tedious and get into some sort of think tank, you know, think tank nerdery stuff here for a second. Um, if you look at the way we distribute public money and resources by local authority, uh, yeah, that is done on the basis of population estimates compiled by the Office of National Statistics for local authority areas. The confidence interval on those estimates for how many people are in any given country or any given local authority area can be anything up to 20%. So to take a town, um, take, take Grimsby, um, uh, you know, the ONS says, Grimsby might have a population of 60,000, it, it might have a population of 80,000. We're not sure because our stats are really bad. Now, if you're trying to plan housing policy, uh, if you're trying to you know, do, do, you know, do schools, lots of other public service provision in Grimsby, how on earth do you do that if you don't know if you've got 60,000 people or 80,000 people in the intent? So we need to massively improve our statistics. I mean, you know, the people who, you know, bluntly, the people who know, uh, who can tell you who's in, uh, you know, who's in Grimsby, Facebook, Google, they can tell you to, you know, to, 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 to <laughs> So, yeah, they need to improve the stats. Just finally, because um, I'm just conscious of time, Nick Timothy. Better distribution of public resources. Do, Nick Timothy, do you think immigration will stop being a political football? Do you think it will play a part in the next general election in the way it did the previous elections and that referendum? I think it will go on being a political issue because I think, uh, as the lady from uh, Ipsos Mori said earlier, a lot of the people who have calmed down about immigration haven't yet realized that the government has just implemented an ultra-liberal immigration policy. They think they're getting control and the government's giving away control. Whether that will turn into a political issue between the parties in the near-term future, I don't know, because there may be one of those conspiracies of silence again. That's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? Email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio. And we'll get you on very soon. Listener.